there we go wow isn't it amazing this technology is wonderful when it works and when it has a mind of its own and it doesn't it doesn't but anyway we got through we're here great (laughs) well welcome to project 365 we were going to do it some way or another Oh, how I didn't know, but we're going to do it. We were going to make sure this day was a day that you will receive a message of hope, encouragement, and or inspiration. And it is a blessing that we're here with you, and we're glad that you're here with us. Well, I'm Portia Wheatley. I am the president and founder of a nonprofit organization, Acknowledge, as Trophy of Life Incorporated, where we have the opportunity to render hope, encouragement, and inspiration. There, that right there. I am so happy to do because I know it's a God assignment. And I pray that we are rendering the same to you. And I know you are a blessing to us. And with that blessing, we would love if you would go to our YouTube channel and subscribe so that you can assist us by um, bringing this word of hope, encouragement, and inspiration all around the world. And let's bring in my co-host, Hello, everyone. I am Takira Swan. I am so happy to be here. We are pushing through despite any challenges that we may face. So we are so happy to be with you today. Absolutely. And we will introduce our guests momentarily. But uh, today our topic is talking about um, policing and uh, how we can bridge the gap between the community and the police department. You know, we've had so much that we've gone through in 2020, not just 2020, 2020 just brought it to light. And there were more incidents and accidents and events and all of that that happened uh, with the community and the police. But years prior, there's been problems. There's been good policemen. There's been bad policemen, just like any other field of uh, any professional field. But today we have in our presence officer, or shall I say Captain Lawrence Hunter, who's been with the police department for uh, over about 24 years, if not over that amount of years. So you know, he has quite a bit of information that he can share with us. And it gives me a great opportunity to uh, bring him to the platform so that we can hear how we can um, incorporate actions from the police department, as well as uh, we come together and know that there is a a meeting ground. There is something that we can do to support the policemen, those that are doing what they're supposed to do, as well as the community, those that are doing what they're supposed to do. So on that note, I'm going to release the platform to Captain Hunter and Captain, help yourself and and give us some information, give us some hope, encouragement and inspiration. Well, thank you so much to you, Ms. Wheatley, and to you, uh, Ms. Swan, for having me on your program. I really, really appreciate it. I'm really humbled and honored uh, to be here. Um, let me just start off by just kind of introducing myself. Um, I am uh, Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the city of Waterbury, Waterbury Police Department in the Waterbury, Connecticut. Uh, I was born in uh, the city of Boston, raised here in the, the uh, city of Waterbury, where I still reside. Uh, don't ask me why I'm still here, but uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> But I'm still here. Um, and uh, so we call uh, Waterbury affectionately, we call it the, the dirty water. I, I won't get into why we call it that, but <laughs> that's what we call it here. Um, so I was, uh, as I said, I was, I was raised here. I went to public schools here. Uh, I then uh, joined the police department 
fairly young age. I was 22 years old when I joined, um, and then I excelled to the rank of captain. Um, anyone who's not familiar with the rank structure of, the, of police departments and or the military goes from entry level, patrol officer, police officer, and then the next rank is usually a sergeant. Some police departments have uh, corporals. And, uh, and so we go from sergeant to lieutenant and the captain. Captain, in my particular department, I was a division commander. I was the midnight shift commander for quite some time. And I also was over the internal affairs uh, department. We called it professional standard, which was uh, internal affairs as well as the training. That's what it was my assignment. And finished as the, returning back to the midnight shift as the commander there. Uh, during my time, I was an implicit and bias instructor. Uh, I taught uh, defensive tactics. I taught um, human behavior, which is essentially psychology, uh, to police recruits as well as to uh, members who are already on the department. Uh, in fact, the police department has just um, um, re, uh, asked me to come back and teach some more classes due to what we'll talk about a little bit, um, <clears throat> due to some of the programs or, or situations that have been going on around the country, the state of Connecticut has instituted four new classes that are mandatory, I believe by the year 2022. Uh, but of course, you know, many cities are getting ahead of it now. And one of the, uh, there's about four classes. One is an anti-racism class. And these are for police uh, recruits who are going to be police officers taught in the police academy. Um, uh, anti-racism, uh, history, uh, policing in a historical context in the civil rights movement. Uh, that's just one class. Um, history of policing in the civil rights movement, anti-racism, in um, procedural justice, and there's another class I forget. I'm going to be teaching procedural justice, and I'll touch upon these in a little bit, procedural justice in the history uh, class. Um, so upon my retirement, I started a, a business uh, um, called uh, LMH Consulting Services, where I do uh, consulting about with police officers who are going to take uh, promotional exams. Anyone who wants to become a police officer, I, I will work with you or with them who want, who want to become police officers. Uh, I'm uh, also teaching leadership, supervision principles, uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, and so those are just a little bit of my expertise. I'm probably leaving some things out, but that's just a little bit of what, I, of what I've done and what I'm doing today. I currently host a podcast uh, called Captain Hunter's Podcast, where I focus on bridging the divide between the police and the community uh, that they serve. And so I, I really, that really be, has become a passion of mine. And how I started this, the particular consulting agency and the podcast that I, that I uh, currently host is because I, I looked around and saw that many African-Americans, you know, when I told them that I was a police officer, you know, you either get, oh, hey, that's great. Or you get, oh, you know, that's, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, you get that kind of negative look. Or they, some people just did not want to be around you at all. Uh, as an officer. So that really kind of troubled me. So I did my own uh, journey and uh, into, you know, the history of policing. I did my own research is what I meant. I, I did my uh, journey into the history of policing, you know, why the African-American community in particular has such a problem with, with what's going on. And so, you know, once I started to, to look into things, um, I don't know if anyone will remember back in the 1990s, the end of the 1990, 97 and 99 in particular, there were two State of New York. There was the Admir, uh, Abner Luima uh, situation, and the, I forget the other young man's name, but they were both brutalized by the police and or killed. Um, so when, I, when that happened, uh, I, I was a young officer myself. I came out in 1995. I became a police officer in 1995. So two years in, we had 97, I was dealing with the situation. And then uh, two years later in 99, I dealt with another situation. And 
and Connecticut is in in New York is uh, Connecticut in New York City are you know fairly fairly close in proximity. So a lot of people were calling me up and asking me, you know, what's up with this? How come the police are doing this type of thing? You know, why are you guys doing this? And you know, there's always this this uh, need to say it's you guys, it's all of you guys, or you guys are all hiding, you know, behind this blue wall, the blue shield. And so that was very troubling to me because I know that I wasn't one of those people who were doing that. It's a shame. Uh, as you mentioned, Miss Wheatley, that um, when uh, uh, you know there's there's bad so-called apples in every profession. There's uh, teachers who right now <laughs> uh, are unfortunately sleeping with their students, but no one is blaming all teachers for that type of thing. There's politicians who are on the take, but no one's blaming all. Pol well, maybe some of us are blaming. Probably a bad example. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so so you know we try we try not to paint with a broad brush. So I I, I really wanted to have. Uh, to bring this to a light and really try to get the, the community to be in line and in lockstep with. I really believe, as you said, that we need the police. Police are essentially a good force, but we need effective and good police officers who are following the, the aims of procedural justice. So let me just talk a little bit about procedural justice and what that means. Uh, and this is really going to be helpful because I have to teach this class and so I have to kind of get my mind around it. <laughs> so procedural justice is, means that there's a certain set of standards. Uh, that um, departments will follow when and if any type of, of call comes in for service, or if there is um, a complaint process that they want to follow. So let's just say, for example, that um, procedural justice, um, uh, th there's a situation in which we need procedural justice when and if there's a situation where the, a domestic violence call has taken place. Um, the, the police officers should respond to that call and they should ask a certain uh, line of questioning, do a certain uh, set standard of investigations, and then come to a conclusion that is to the benefit of both parties. Now that benefit is probably maybe the wrong word, but it should be to the satisfaction of both parties, even if that ends in arrest. And so what many times what happens, well, I, I should not say many times, but what happens in some cases is that um, that procedural justice, that procedure of going about these different steps that I've outlined, and of course there's many more in there, um, is not followed by, by police officers. They cut corners, uh, they don't ask the right questions, they just get there and because they're tired, because it's almost time for them to go home, uh, so therefore they don't follow that, those rules of procedural justice. And when officers don't follow that line of procedural justice, then uh, they, they, uh, the members of the community will look at uh, the department as illegitimate. What do I mean by illegitimate? doesn't mean that they, they don't believe the police department should exist or does exist, but what it means is, is that they believe that they are corrupt. It means that they know that when we call the police, they don't listen to my side of the story. When we call the police, they, they have their own preconceptions and misconceptions about the African-American community, about the poor white communities, about the Hispanic community. And so because they have this misconception, they're not listening to us and to our complaints, and they're just jumping to conclusions. They're making arrests without listening to our story. And what happens a lot of times when, is when people uh, uh, feel as if they're not being heard and you're not listening to my side of the story, this is where we get people acting out. This is where we get people who resist police officers, who want to run away from police officers. Because you have not listened to them, uh, because the officers have not listened to them and taken the time and the opportunity to get to the bottom uh, uh, the, to the bottom of the situation, therefore that decreases the morale for the community. It decreases police legitimacy. It decreases your sense, uh, the department's sense of procedural justice. So, if so, one of the things that I really want to bring about 
is bringing that divide is making sure the police officers are held accountable and they follow a strict set of procedural justice. Procedural justice also means that, as, as, as I mentioned, I was the commander of our internal affairs division. That means that when, when and if someone comes in to make a complaint about a police officer, that again, there is a certain set of standards and rules that the police department must follow. And these, these are becoming standardized across the country and across different states where, uh, you know, uh, police officers will have the right to review the complaint against them. Well, let me start with the civilians. The civilians should make a complaint. Uh, it should not be the police officers or commanders or sergeants' job to talk citizens out of making a complaint. Uh, it, it, it may not even be appropriate for the commander, at, at, uh, whoever they're speaking with, the civilian is speaking with, at the time to uh, try to talk them, talk them out of it, talk to them at all, or try to figure out what's going on. Because people may get the sense that this officer who I'm speaking with right now is just going to protect his, his friend, his buddy, and he's not going to look out. If I make this complaint, he's just going to go tell him and they're going to get their story straight. So I think it's really, and this is all part of the uh, procedural justice type of thing, right? A certain set of ways of how, how we go about uh, investigating these things. Um, second of all, uh, or next of all, I should say, is that um, police officers uh, and departments must uh, fully investigate uh, any officer for any reason, for any misconduct. A lot of times police officers and police departments in the past, and probably still going on today, would not take seriously a complaint and would not investigate a complaint if the complaint was not written down and or notarized. So that, that sometimes that would be a, a complete uh, disadvantage to the people. Uh, let's just say I come in. I I come into the police department. And say, listen, officer, so and so, uh, you know, slap me around for no reason. And then I, then the supervisor says, well, okay, well, what happened? Uh, you know, you're probably making this up. Well, to give us the officer's name. And you know, officer so and so would never do this type of thing. Uh, I know an officer so and so for the past ten years. He's a good officer. He would never do this type of thing. Right there, that tells the the civilian, uh, the citizen. Uh, that um, th that they're not going to take this complaint seriously. So it's it, it, there has to be a certain set of procedures. It has to be transparent. What am I what do I mean by that? So uh, any and every step uh, along the investigation should be documented and should be and you in the department should notify the citizen, the civilian uh, of the complaint process, where we are in the process, and where we when and if we uh, plan to complete the process. And once the process is completed. Again, more notifications should go out saying this is what we have found, and here's the reasons that we found this. It wasn't just that we found uh, your complaint was unfounded, but why do we find it? Maybe video evidence uh, completely uh, contradicted your story, or complete uh, video evidence um, confirmed your story, and now we have, we're going to take disciplinary action against these people. Um, so let me just speak a little bit about uh, disciplinary action, um, uh, and, and many times. Um, it becomes very frustrating to uh, citizens and civilians when and if they make a complaint against a, a police officer and they feel as if nothing happened. One of the reasons that they that nothing happens, and I'm putting that in quotations, right? So m maybe it's something that we as citizens, because I am a citizen now, just a regular civilian now. <laughs> so many times uh, we think that, uh, you know, this happened and the police officer should be fired. Right. This this guy, this gal should not be a police officer. How, the way he talks to the public, the way he interacts with the public, he has no business wearing the badge. Well, a lot of times um, what is hampering and hindering 
um, city managers, city uh, police executives from taking the appropriate action is the fact that uh, unions are so strong. So um, because of these union um, red tape, because of the union lawyers, because of the unions themselves, uh, they are very reluctant to stand behind or they are very reluctant to take any type of action that we would think uh, should be warranted. Um, so along those lines, I would say to, to people out there that you should become familiar with your city rules, your city management, uh, understand the power of your city union, uh, your police union. Um, and listen, we're all pro-union. Uh, you know, as a union employee myself, I'm, I'm very much pro-union, not just police union, but unions across the country. I think that more unions should be standing up for, for workers' rights and all that. However, I do think that in police, in the case of police officers, this can be very unpopular that I'm saying this, uh, the power of the union needs to be taken down a little bit um, because it is causing such a divide. Again, when something happens and people don't feel as if they're giving just, getting justice and they, they feel as if... The, 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 the process is being tainted. Let me give it a perfect example of this. Uh, in the case of uh, now, now George Floyd, which we're all fairly familiar with, you know, uh, last year, uh, about, uh, was it May or so of 2020, we all saw what happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, George Floyd was, was killed by, by the police officer, uh, Derek Chauvin, and, um, and, so, and, so, and so on. So uh, in that case, I actually listened to a press conference. It wasn't even a press conference. It was a Zoom call in with the chief of police uh, from the Minneapolis uh, Police Department, a man of color himself, uh, gave a, a, a briefing, uh, essentially, about what's going on in the reforms that the Minneapolis Police Department was going to take. And he said very plainly in during that uh, conference that uh, his hands were tied concerning Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin was the officer who knelt on, on George Floyd's neck. So what happened was, is that even though Derek Chauvin was a 20-year veteran, even though he had uh, items in his uh, jacket or his personnel file uh, that were negative, uh, the, the police chief could not take corrective action against them. And I, myself, was extremely critical in my podcast when I talked about that. I was like, why, doesn't, why was this guy not, uh, not taken care of, taken off the street and all this kind of stuff? Um, but when listening to the chief and understanding that, that different cities have different rules and different strengths to their unions. Um, therefore, uh, I had to listen to the chief and say, you know what, this is this is part of the problem where, number one, we're so bifurcated as, as police departments. You know, if I'm living in Minnesota, uh, the rules may be different if I'm living in Maryland. Uh, and, and so the, the strength of the union. So I think that that's a problem within police departments. There's 18,000 police departments or sheriff's departments in this country, ranging from great big departments like LA and NYC, all the way down to one and two person officers. So there's a great range of police departments. They're not all in the same rules and regulations and all that. So, and of course, as I was talking about uh, with, with the union uh, strengths and everything. So uh, the police chief uh, of Minneapolis, Minnesota, was unable to take uh, certain corrective actions as far as reassignment or disciplinary actions uh, against this particular officer because of the strengths of the union. That's something that I think that needs uh, fought against. Uh, so I talked about police unions. I talked about a little bit about the complaint process. Um, and, well, let me talk a little bit more about the complaint process. If and when uh, you, you uh, as an individual, uh, feel that you, that you were wronged, I stress highly, and I cannot say this enough, that uh, you should not try to take up court on the side of the road or in the middle of the street. Uh, if you, we have a saying that you should comply now and complain later. Take down badge numbers, that you should uh, get car information, you should know what street you are on, know the time of day, 
get the best description of the officer or officers as possible, their hair color, their height, their approximate weight, uh, their badge number, ask them for their badge number in a, in a kind and in, in a courteous way, despite and no matter how they may be speaking to you, taking up, uh, getting, getting antsy on the side of the road and, and getting a mouthy on the side of the road is never a good idea. I do realize that many people are videotaping now, uh, but but who wants to go through uh, the, the the troubles and trials of of, of an arrest uh, being dragged out of your car and all and trying to catch it on on videotape? I, I don't think that that's worth it. Uh, catch the indiscretions if you can on videotape. So uh, and then get as much information, time of day, location that you're at, and all that kind of stuff. The police, the car that you're driving, and bring all that information down to the police department. Make your complaint there if you have to get it notarized or follow those particular rules um I, I don't think that that's fair that people have to get these things notarized we as my department if any complaint came in via email somebody, somebody called in we took the complaint seriously and we addressed the complaint it did not have to be notarized however that's not every single department as i said the department has different rules and regulations uh, let me know how i'm doing for time um so i think that um uh, so, so that's the complaint process, and then follow up the complaint process. As I mentioned, many um, departments, many departments will um, uh, uh, keep persons informed along the way as to uh, where they're where they are at in the complaint process. Many departments have rules. Uh, you have to complete your complaint process. Ours was forty five days. So, from forty five days from the time you make a complaint, uh, you had to complete the process. So that's the complaint process, um, and let me just talk a little bit about uh, bridging the divide and what I think it's it, that's important. Uh, yeah, it's definitely. It's obviously important because we want, we, you know, nobody suffers more than this whole uh, situation of defunding the police uh, than, than black communities. Let's just be honest about that. If the police fail to do their jobs, if they refuse to do their job, they want to go out and just sit in the parking lot and not be proactive, um, and then nobody's going to suffer besides uh, more than black black people. So we want black uh, uh, black people want and should want police officers in the community protecting the community. We just want fair, impartial, uh, good policing, and that's what we want. So I think it's really, really important that people engage with the community. That means go to the community meetings. That means go to if your department has a civilian review board, sign up for a civilian review board. If your police department has a civilian uh, police academy, sign up for that. That would be you know where you can go and learn the laws and learn about what the police officers do. Many people think that they know what cops should do, should not do. I've talked to people with a bachelor's degrees in criminal justice, not working in the field, but they just had a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and, and telling me completely wrong information. <laughs> so just you know, so you have to. So I would say engage with your 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 department. Um, and so just know what your department does. Don't be afraid to make complaints and everything like that. Become involved in the voting process, whether you have to vote for your sheriffs, vote for your prosecutors, engage and vote, engage and vote, speak to them, ask for meetings with these people. And of course, vote these people you become involved in politics and vote these sheriffs or, or police chiefs or mayors. If the mayor is corrupt, uh, and he's got corrupt the police department where they where they think these things are going on then make sure that you try to get these people out of office so that's what i think that many civilians and citizens would do and finally let me just start off end off with i i i, I try to attack it from the police officer's point of view but i also am, am really really getting heavy into community activism what we need to do is community we need to build strong communities 
We need to be, uh, we need black men, black fathers in the homes. We need uh, to develop our own businesses where we're in our own communities, where we can um, support our own businesses. Um, we need entrepreneurs. And once we develop uh, economic capital, then we can develop that political capital, right? So it, who is running the world? Well, it's the politicians and the politicians are many times in the pocket of the people of the wealthy class. We have to build up a wealthy class. And how do we do that? Well, we have to, again, create strong families, strong churches, strong community centers who then uh, implement those types of, of changes in, in thought process into their children who grow up to be entrepreneurs. And, and, and once we do those things, then we limit people's engagement and involvement with the police. That's just the truth. When people have jobs and they're at work and they're where they're going to college and when they're building their businesses, they're not running the streets and running away from the police. They're living much better lives and we can build up our communities that way. And we can get people off of social programs and we can encourage people and we can lift the self-esteem and all that type of thing. So that's what my podcast is about. It's about uh, bridging the divide. The police, in many instances, have to do better in in, in the, the community, whether it be black, Asian, Hispanic, white, uh, all have to do better. And so that's that's the way I'm trying to bridge the divide. Great, great, great information, because it is the responsibility of the community as well as the police on both sides. So I have um, Porter Brown in the chat room who says, so how do we get more young people to join the force and be part of the solution. We want more officers. We want more officers to look like us, but we do not join the force. That's an excellent question. And that's one that I've gone back and forth with. Uh, I was, uh, as part of my responsibilities, I was uh, at one time tasked with the recruiting process, went to local colleges, went to barbershops, went to churches. And you'd be surprised of how many people, people who supposedly, well, not supposedly, who do look like us, uh, who said, listen, I'm not interested. One guy said to, to me, yeah, I'm going to college. Well, listen, I'm in the college. I know that you're going here. <laughs> I mean, it's mm -hmm. always, you know, so it, it really is a problem where people are not um, are, are not joining the police department. Uh, because of the viral videos, because of the many things that are going on around the country, many people are just not joining the police department, period. Um, and if they are, they're probably joining for negative reasons. Well, not negative reasons, but they're joining just for a paycheck and for good benefit, not really because they want to help the, help the community. And so it, it, it is important that we encourage people to do that. So how do we do that? So uh, it's important for persons such as myself who look like me to go out there and, and, and embrace the community and say, hey, listen, uh, the police department can make your life better and you, and you can make the, the community better. It's also important, and I, again, I'm going to address this from the community aspect, you can't down the police. If you're, at, if you're at Thanksgiving or Christmas or birthday parties, don't talk about the police in a negative way in front of you, a 13, 14, 15 year old. That's, that's, that's incredibly important. We, we can't do that. Uh, you, can't, you can't down the police and say they're corrupt and they say they're negative and then expect your, your nieces and nephews and cousins to want to become part of these organizations. So, so stop doing that. You know, um, so in, in, if anything, say, okay, you know, talk about what's going on and say how we can make the community better. And how can we make the community better? We, we need you, nephew. We need you, niece. We need you, cousin, to join that police department and, and move up the ranks in those police departments and then straighten them out. So uh, that that's the process that I would say to do. I encourage people to do it. Uh, the police officers are out there recruiting. There's always some there's some posters, some commercial, et cetera. But it's up to us to say, we got to make these, these things better. 
Good, good. Yeah, and all of this starts really in the family, family gatherings, uh, family conversations. And um, yeah, I agree with that in the sense of you can't sit around and say negative things and then want a positive return on some of the negative negative things that's been said. But thank you. Thank you so much for that information that has been shared. And at this time, uh, usually I have my co-host to come in to prepare some closing statements. And um, it's amazing how um, each generation is, again, responsible for um, producing positive young people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely positive young people. And it again, it starts in the family. So uh, those conversations, and even in the church, even in the neighborhood, uh, we can all do something and I know some. Uh, I had a, someone here in the chat room that says, uh, and we I think we said it in conversation, we cannot judge across the board. Everyone, it, well, not everyone, but in each entity, there are some good and there are some bad. So, but I appreciate your services, even though you're in Connecticut. <laughs> well, listen, everything's virtual now. I'll help anyone right. out anytime. So right. do not be afraid to say, "Be I'm, well, I'm in California. I'm in Maryland. Listen, but everything's police virtual. are the police. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want my services, hit me up. And I, I, I would certainly uh, can fly me out there, which would be great. Uh, <laughs> but but, uh, but I, certainly everything is virtual now anyway. And we'll make sure your podcast information gets into our chat room so that uh, in the comment section on uh, Facebook and the chat room on Zoom so that uh, if anyone wants to contact you for advice or, or just to listen to what you have to say, we'll make sure they get that information. Thank you. Takira? Okay. So, um, one, I want to commend you for, for being the outstanding man that you are in taking this head on and doing the, the right thing to try to combat the divide between the police and the community. Um, that's a really big job. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I know it's uphill climb and it's not easy, but I really commend you for your efforts so far and what you're doing. Um, I do have a question. Uh, like you said, you know, the police departments all over our nation are always recruiting. Is there a, a point in the um, recruitment or hiring process that happens that, uh, enables the person who's doing the hiring to kind of filter out the bad apples. Um, you know, like saying, okay, so this person's mindset may not be the best for, you know, for this particular job, or we can see from whatever the processes are that this person may need another field because they're not really here to help people. And we're trying to make a change, you know, to bridge the divide and it's not going toward our goal. Is there a process that happens? Uh, absolutely, Currently. absolutely. Are, I, I just, are we on, are we on a time limit? I don't know. I don't want to. I don't. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so let me just talk about the about the. That's that's an excellent question. So and uh, let me just talk about um. Uh, the the process uh the testing process. So generally, again, there's many you know fifty states and they all have different requirements and things like that. So. So there, these these uh, departments all have different ways of, of going about them. So generally, there's a a fifty a a first part is a written uh, written exam, and the written exam is going to take care of the um, 
the, the written exam is going to take care of uh, the academic portion of it. The next portion of it is going to be a, um, uh, an oral examination. And from there, they want to know if people have a, you know, if they're able to speak and talk. Now, now we get into the nitty gritty. And these necessarily may not be in the, in the direct line of, you know, every department may do it differently. So let's just say you pass the written exam. Now you pass the oral portion or the oral board examination where you go before a panel of people and talk about and say, you know, they're going to ask you a question. You're going to answer the question. So now you have a polygraph test. They're going to want to know, uh, are you truthful about your past? Um, so they're going to ask you diff different questions. Now, before the polygraph is usually a background investigation. Now, all this background may be going on. This, they're going to ask you about your, 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 your history. They may ask you about your tattoos. They're going to ask you what school you went to, what college you went to, your military career, your jobs, where you've lived. They're going to talk to your friends and your neighbors and your cousins and all that type of thing. So that's part of the background investigation. That's going to all the every single part of this process is weeding people out. Then, of course, during that, uh, usually after the background, then it's the polygraph examination, as I mentioned, lie detector tests, essentially, uh, where they want to know if you've been telling the truth about about you know anything that's going on in your. Then they're going to ask you. Then you're going to go through a psychological examination, and this is more to your point. There is is this part of the process that's going to eliminate people who are unfit for the job because they're too hyper or too timid or too aggressive or whatever or too assertive. Uh, so that the, that particular examination should, should weed people out. Then, of course, there is a physical examination along the way to make sure that you're physically fit uh, to be able to stand the rigors of being a police officer. Uh, so that's essentially the process of becoming a police officer in the United States. Okay. And um, I have just one more question. <laughs> so I, I'm like, I don't, I'm I don't charge for the questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, tune into your podcast because this is such a big issue that affects all of us, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, the next, I just lost my train of thought. The next question. Um, oh, if you could please uh, repeat or just tell everyone where they could go to find out the rules for their particular area. Um, like you said, you know, um, you get to know all the, the rights of you as a citizen and, you know, what the police, uh, are being upheld as, because, you know, you can't, you can't make any changes. Like I always say, you can't win the game if you don't know the rules. So you, you need to know how these things work because just as simple as making, oh, I want to make a complaint. Well, how come I didn't get anywhere? Well, I didn't know it had to do A, B, and C, you know? So I feel like a lot of times change doesn't happen because it's so much work and you just get a little discouraged. Like, well, it's not going to change anyway, but it doesn't have to be that way. So if you can just say, you know, where people can research or go look to find those, those rules um, or regulations, then that would be helpful. Sure. Many police departments are putting their uh, department rules and regulations or policies and procedures, whatever you know, people are calling them, uh, online. Um, and so I would go to your local police department's um, website. They sh we should mm -hmm. all have one. It's 2021. They should have a website. Um, and go there and see. If not, if it's not there, then I would call the chief's office and ask him, you know, I'm looking for, you know, the procedures on how to make a complaint. Um, is there a way that I can get these things written down? What are the rules? What what are what are the complaint processes? Um, and um, if you can't get it from from the chief's office, or if they're slow in responding, maybe the these town clerk, the mayor, uh, uh, you know, go to them and say, listen, you know, what's up with this? I want to uh, 
filed a complaint or I just want to know what the rules are, regulations are. Um, it's not just about making a complaint. Sometimes people yeah. have their cars towed uh, by the police and they don't know how to get it back. They're, they're, they should have, again, procedural justice, policies and procedures. The police department should have rules about how they go about towing people's motor vehicles uh, or, you know, taking your dog if it's if it bit someone. So th this should all be written down. It should be available online. Uh, if it's not, again, call the chief's office um, or um, or email them or, or go to the uh, town manager, city manager, mayor's office, etc. Okay, thank you so much. Um, so I just want to encourage all of our viewers to do your research. Just take a couple minutes out. Find out the rules and regulations for your area, for your city, um, for anything. Uh, law and order, whether you like it or not, is necessary for our society. It's always going to be here. It's always been in, in our in our lives, uh, one way or another. So I would encourage you just to find out the rules so that you can know how to operate safely and effectively, especially if you'd like to make change for something that you dislike. So. Absolutely. All right. Great information, great information. And then from this video, there are several that have already said that they've gone to your uh, podcast to to check it, check you out. They enjoyed this information today. And uh, those that are in the Maryland area, just know you you have a place where you can uh, get information as well regarding your area of policing. And um, with this podcast that Captain Hunter has it will give you so much more information. So don't be afraid to um, tap in to see what you can hear, what you can hear, listen to, what you can learn, all of that. I'm sure that will be found on his podcast. So I want you to remember to go to our YouTube channel and um, subscribe because you will see Captain Hunter there. And there are people that you know should have this information in hand. There are people that you know have young people that need to know what to do. Not just young black men, everybody needs to know what to do. Anytime you've been wronged by the policeman or you feel you have been wronged by the policeman, you have somewhere that you can go, at least be knowledgeable of what you need to do as a citizen. Um, but there's information out there for you to uh, obtain. So we thank you again, Captain Hunter, for your inf the information that you shared. Um, those that go to our YouTube channel, just know you help us to take this video, this information around the world. And there are many people, especially in, in the southern states, that still don't know uh, how to report something that's... Um, that's important to them or that has happened to him, them, that they just need to let the captain know, to let the chief know, to let the sheriff know, this officer did this to me and it was not right. So just don't hold on to it and then that builds up within. And then when a policeman stops you, you blow your lid. So no, let's let's do what we have to do as citizens, as civilians, and um, make people pay. If it's in your, if you have any control at all, but let's do it the right way. Let's do it the lawful way. All right. Again, I want you to be intentional about fulfilling God's purpose on your life. You got to do it. It may not be what I do. It may not be what Captain Hunter does. It may not be what Takira does as well as she does it. But I want you to make sure you be int intentional 
about fulfilling God's purpose on your life. Thank you for tuning in, and we shall see you tomorrow. God bless Captain Hunter. Thank Bye, Takara. Thank you. Bye.